0: Once upon a time, man huddled in a cave. Once upon a time, man lived amongst the flora and fauna. Once upon a time, man travelled to every corner of the land. Once upon a time, man was struck down. Once upon a time, man was no longer alone. In the bones of the land.
1: Once upon a time, there was a halfling. Now, whilst these humanoids are well known for their homing instincts, the young woman at the heart of this tale was, at the time of its telling, far away from home. In fact, she was in a forest, darker than the ocean floor, wider than a desert, and with a canopy height envied by mountain peaks. The forest itself was rarely travelled. Despite the towering pines and oaks and hundreds of other species that made up its citizens, it was a relatively new addition to the land and had thus not been properly mapped. Whilst this cartographical failing was a drawback for many, it excited the young woman. And this is where we begin our tale. Once upon a time, There was a halfling, and she was lost in the woods. Despite the lack of adventurous ancestors, the halfling had always been proud of her people. An enthusiasm for food and family, and appreciation of nature's gifts were held fast to her heart. However, it was at this point in time that she lamented the disadvantage provided by a distinct lack of height. When navigating such a dense area, facing trees as tall as the skyscraper ruins, being under four foot certainly presented extra challenges. Whilst contemplating this difficulty, she had set herself upon a large flat rock by a river which bisected the trees. The sun pulled itself through the foliage to dapple her face. Her eyes darted over the fish that played in the water. And a figure watched her from the shadows. The fish had by now stolen her attention. So much so the branches which snapped beneath the other's feet fell on deaf ears. In truth, she had no sense of their presence until a hand was placed on her shoulder And in her shock, with the instinctive jump of surprise, she tumbled into the water. It wasn't so much the darkness, or the weight added to her clothes, but the cold. It crawled deep into her bones and settled there. It took her three attempts to close her fingers around the hand which reached for her. And as she resurfaced, the blurry figure that hoisted her upwards began to take shape.
2: Shit, Uh, are you all right?
1: Once upon a time there was a half-elf. Much like our other hero, he was attempting to catalogue the expansive woodland, although his motivations different. The young man came from a community of wandering mercenaries. Whilst our halfling's journey was her first venture outside the village, the half-elf had spent his entire life experiencing city after city, town after town, forest after forest. But not this one. And that, he had thought, needed to change. Although, and this bit is rather important, he was now alone. He too craved his adventure, his chance. And whilst the solitude was predominantly appealing, happening across another adventurer piqued both his interest. And excitement. Once upon a time, there was a half-elf, and he met a girl lost in the woods.
0: I'm lost. And also wet, but mainly the lost thing.
2: I didn't mean to surprise you.
0: Look, I'm really sorry uh, uh, about
2: that. Uh, no, no, no. You you go.
0: I was just going to apologise. I didn't splash you, did I?
2: I'm, I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. I'm fine. You're just the first person I've seen in, um, eight days? Um, uh, why don't I set a fire?
1: A fire? A fire would be nice. Whilst the half-elf procured wood for the fire, the slightly shivering halfling waded into the shallows with a sharpened stick. Soon, both sustenance and a means by which to cook it had been achieved and the two sat by the fire, closer and closer, for warmth, obviously, and shared conversation. They didn't realise how sleepy they had become, until the first bird chirped, and dawn's grey light poured over the now ashen circle in front of them. It was at this point. The pair concluded their respective exploration attempts, made a great deal more sense if completed alongside one another. With the half-elf's height and seasoned knowledge of forests, and the halfling's amicable relationship with the plethora of creatures that called it home, their journey would be far easier together than it would have been alone. Once upon a time, a halfling and a half-elf travelled through never-ending woods. And one day, they fell in love.
2: You know, of all the birds in this place, my favourite call is yours. Oh, hush. In fact, your laughter is the most unique song to pierce the morning air.
1: Oh, really?
2: A siren to ward off all dreadful creatures lurking in the trees.
1: Funny, didn't seem to work on you. Time passed, as it is wont to do and the Halfling and Half-Elf still wandered through the trees. The sun streamed through the leaves, trailing dappled patterns across the grass that shifted like the waters of the river. As the pair continued, the Half-Elf's ears twitched. He raised a hand and she drew her short sword. The playful conversation melted away as they crept towards the noise. A young girl sat in a clearing next to the charred remains of a hut. Relaxing their stance, the pair hurried towards her.
2: What happened?
3: I didn't mean to.
1: I... It's okay. It's all right. We're going to help. Why don't I make us some tea? As the child calmed, she shakily admitted that the fire had, in fact, been her doing. Albeit accidentally. Her mother, a sorcerer, had left to seek out rare ingredients from a cave the pair had stumbled across before and had not returned for some days. The girl, whilst old enough to be left alone for a week or so, would be unable to care for herself without shelter. As she finally slept, the pair discussed their plan. Are you sure?
2: I'll be fine, and I'll be back before you know it.
1: The following morning, he left for the caves. The halfling began to rescue what she could from the skeletal husk of the hut, and kept an eye on the girl. And it was so very odd to be so close, so accessible to one another, and then far apart. She spoke to the birds, the one whose call sounded like her delighted laugh, and wrapped notes around their legs in the hope that they would find him. Apparently, they did not. Or... They did, and there was a body somewhere, covered in curled-up ribbons of paper. The fear left her mind when, a week or so later, two figures, bruised and bleeding, stumbled back into the clearing. What's up? They rested by the fire and the shelter that the halfling and her temporary charge had begun to construct. As the day turned into night, The pair sat a little way from the reunited family. Once upon a time, a halfling and a half-elf had a conversation.
0: I've been thinking... Dangerous? Absolutely. Look, don't you think we'd be a little more efficient if we, well...
2: Split up?
0: Whilst you were gone, it felt like a piece of my heart had vanished. But if this means helping people like these two, then maybe...
2: You're right.
1: Once upon a time, a halfling and a half elf set off on individual quests. On their identical maps, they had points and dates marked, meeting spots, hidden holes to leave gifts or notes. It was not easy to be apart, but no story is worth hearing when everything is easy. They toiled and laboured, but don't be mistaken, each found great enjoyment in their work, and besides, there was nothing better than that surge of confidence, that rush of adrenaline, when you knew, when you were certain that you were damn good at what you were doing, and their meetings, always too brief, were sweetened by their joy and pride in both themselves and in one another. Upon one occasion, their meeting coincided with a group of bandits who had also decided to make the pair's acquaintance. The fight was long and draining. They were able to fell a fair few of their enemies, but each was gravely wounded. It came down to them and the ringleader. The halfling found herself trapped against a cliff edge. The man advancing went out of nowhere.
2: Close your eyes, count to three, and stick out your hand.
1: What? What? Trust me. One, two, three. Arm out. Grab onto a leg, foot instinctively hooking onto a tree root as she was dragged to the edge, her eyes opening to see the half-elf, all bravado that he was, having tackled the man off the precipice. And her hand wrapped around his calf, ensuring his safety. Laughter erupted from them both. How else to meet death's gaze? As the pair settled for the evening, the fire-smoke scented their cloaks. Head rested on shoulder, hand rested on hand. Once upon a time, there was a halfling and a half-elf.
2: How long? What? How long do you think this will take? What, being apart? Hmm. I don't know. Not too long, I hope. But you know what? Hmm? I'm here right now, and you're here right now, and that's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Now, Lily, it's time to go to bed. Have you picked the hero of tonight's story? Mum, tell me about the other folk. The other folk? Are you sure? Mm Mm-hmm. Why this sudden interest
1: in them, dear? Polly and the others keep telling me I look like an elf, and I don't know what that means. Like, my ears aren't that... (laughs) that long. And I can't do any magic, but they point at me and they find 50 different stuff that's like an elf. And I tell them to stop and they do, but then they start
0: again and... And you want to know more about elves to prove them wrong?
1: Yeah, but also the others. Like mermaids and centaurs and the small people.
0: Halflings and gnomes?
1: And orcs and... yeah, halflings and gnomes and all that. Because they told us at school that they weren't always there, and then the awakening happened.
0: But they didn't tell us how they came. Did they tell you anything else about them? Just that we can't always trust them, because a lot of them are dangerous. Okay, I'll tell you about them. Just lie back down, dear. Okay. When the gods first awoke, they... wanted to connect with us, their, well, worshippers. Do you know what that word means? Have they taught you about it at school? Good. And so they decided to give us gifts according to what we wanted. However, because they are wise and knowledgeable, they decided not to ask us about what we wanted directly. They knew we were weak creatures with many flaws, and thought that we might get deceived by greed. So, they looked at the oldest stories we told each other, our myths and legends full of fantastical creatures which are not quite human, who were maybe children of the gods, as we then thought of them at least, and who were more… gifted. And then they decided that, well, because we seemed so fascinated by these creatures, Because we even impersonated them in our retellings, some of us would like to be like them. They did not want to make us too powerful as people, because that would disrupt the balance of things. But for those of us who they thought wanted more, they... turned up the level of some abilities by making them into some of these creatures. Does that make sense so far? Hmm. Yes? I'll give you some examples and you'll see. The first centaurs were free spirits. They were travellers and wise men, always moving from one town to another, always learning, always passing on knowledge to others. They were the people who'd climb the highest mountains for a living, risking their lives at the edge of the world. They were the people who'd spend their lives running, literally and, well, from their homes, and were the fastest and the best at it. The gods looked at those of them who they thought would never stop, or those whose only settlement would be as teachers and guides, and blessed them with the body of a horse, but left them the torso of a man, so they could run with the wind and hold books in their hands and speak wisdom from their mouths. But Lady Helena is not a centaur. Mr Jacob isn't one too, and Granny Martha, and they're all like that. The gods changed people into centaurs based on what they were like as people, They didn't take away wisdom from humanity by doing that. They didn't want to. That is also why they didn't change everybody into centaurs. Or do the same thing with any other creatures. You can't have all of the wisdom in one species. Huh. Okay. What about the elves, then? And the orcs? And the mermaids? And the others? The first elves were… well the people who were fortunate in body and mind, I would say. They were the most learned and the healthiest and the most persuasive. They were the ones who could convince millions to listen to or follow them, and who had the ambition to pursue the impossible, like immortality. So, the gods picked some of them and made them into creatures that live longer and stay more beautiful than all others that can enchant you with their words and unravel every idea coming out of your mouth. Oh. But then, why aren't they the mares? Because, and, well, this is the reason why we don't live with a lot of these creatures, their way of life doesn't really agree with our own. Elves tend to lose sight of the short term because they live so long, and they don't have that sense of... They don't need to rush the way we do sometimes with our lives, and they don't really understand how time works differently for us. Not all of them are good people either, so not all of them would care to learn. So,
1: like, Mayor Sorrington says, he'll make sure we have a new playground next year, yeah? But an elf would promise us he'd do it after ten years? Yes,
0: exactly. And then, why don't we have more centaurs, though? Centaurs tend to wander from place to place a lot, and many people say that we don't really need their wisdom because of that. We have a lot of problems on our own here, so we don't really have time to listen to them about more universal things. They aren't really... What I mean to say is, they are not fond of taking on responsibilities they would rather avoid. But they could tell us cool stories, at least. Yes, they could.
3: Hmm.
1: What about the orcs? Orcs
0: are really ugly and bad, right? Why would the gods make people ugly and bad? The first people who became orcs were those who needed or wanted to be strong before anything else. A lot of them were loyal and good to their own people and to others as well, but before they were anything else they were survivors. They were people who barely made it from day to day, and a lot of them were isolated from others because of things that had happened to them. Or things that they'd done. Some stole because they had no other means of getting food, or got into fights to get money. People don't want to stay around you if you do that. So, those people wanted strengths so that they could make it to the next day. There were also others, though, who simply faced the world with their shields up and their swords drawn, because they thought that that would be the only way they or their loved ones could be safe. This often trapped them into… well, in a situation where they were the bad guys, even as a lot of them hated it. So, when the gods saw their need for strength, they decided to give them just that. But their abilities and their new looks were scary, not just to their enemies, but also to everybody else. They, well, they ended up where they started, fighting again. A lot of them, though, simply tend to keep to their own to avoid conflict. So, they're people who don't
1: like people because they're scared? And sometimes they hurt
0: them because they're scared? Yes, on the whole. Not all of them hurt people, and not all of them were scared before they became orcs. Some were cruel without cause, and some loved people and never hurt them beyond isolating themselves. But a lot of them were—are—like that. Well, I don't think I would like people very much if I was scared
1: of them. But then why don't we try and talk to the orcs? Maybe if we showed them that we're not scary and we can be friends it would be all
0: right. You should ask your teacher that. Okay. Then what about- It's getting quite late, Lily. We should tuck you in so you can wake up in time for school in the morning. (sighs) (sighs) You wouldn't want to be all groggy, would you? Okay. But you will tell me more tomorrow. (laughs) I will, I will. Sleep tight, my dear.
3: It is a strange and chilling place, this field that Lily finds herself in. Chilling, not because it is cold, but because it is unseasonably warm. She dimly remembers shivering a bit in her bed before coming here. It's like spring, the air heavy with unfallen May rain, the clouds dark and ready to open. She looks down to see flowers blooming at her feet, stems wrapping themselves around her ankles and her toes. It is a gentle, gentle grasp, but Lily pulls away from it anyway. When she looks up again, she is not in a field anymore, but in a forest. The sky looks like it's just about to light up with dawn. Her feet are suddenly wet with dew, and the wind brings smoke to her from somewhere behind. Lily turns around and, seeing only more wood, starts walking in the direction of the fire. She is sure it is the right way, though she doesn't know why. She walks and walks and walks, until she finally sees houses through the trees. She steps out into a small clearing and looks upon a village. The houses look like the ones they have at home, but some of them are a lot smaller, as if made for people shorter than her, and some of them are slightly taller. Smoke billows from what looks to be a fire in the centre of the village, and Lily starts walking through the cobbled streets cobbled. She hasn't seen cobbles since that one time her mother took her to the city for a special dress. But still, she walks past rows of funny-looking houses, and then she turns a corner to get to where the centre is.
0: Lily, wake up! Lily! Lily, wake up! Wake up, Lily! Come on, darling, it's time for school! Mm. Mama... I had such a strange dream. You can tell me about it on the way there, darling. But I think it's telling me to go somewhere. What do
1: you mean by that? I was in a field, and then the woods, and then there was smoke somewhere behind me. And I think I was close to another village, so I walked there. And the houses were all funny, Mamma. It didn't look like one of ours. They looked like our woods but it wasn't
0: one of ours. Lily. Lily, dear, come on, sit up and listen to me for a minute. What is it, Mama? There... There used to be another village in the woods. It was a long time ago, and it was one where some other folk lived. So, like, elves and centaurs Yes, and... yes, those and a lot more. There were halflings and gnomes and half-orcs... They're almost like regular orcs, but their mum or dad is a human, and a few others there. It wasn't a big village. It was mainly a stopping point that other races used so they could... because they didn't want to bother us in our village. They were all travellers who'd settled there, and many like them passed each year. They didn't live completely separate from us, of course. They had their own small fields, but they couldn't get all the fruit and vegetables and meat they needed, so we traded. Food for kindness, mostly. Half-orcs and dwarves are excellent builders. The centaurs had discovered many cures on their travels, almost as many as the recipes the halflings had. The gnomes were good with crafting, and the elves... Well, magic is one of their specialties. One of them even helped our family in a pickle. But that's a story for another time. But where are they now? They... well... I don't know, to be honest. There was a fire in their village one night, and the next morning most of it was ash. They packed up and left on the next day and haven't been back since. Aww, but they haven't even been to visit? No, they haven't. Like I said, I don't think they wanted to strain our hospitality. Well, that's that then. Come now, you have almost no time for breakfast left, and we have to get you to school.
1: Hmm, okay. Mama? Yes, dear? You'll tell me more stories
0: tonight, right? Happy stories? Only happy stories, Yes.
1: The Halfling and the Half-Elf was directed by Amelia Chisholm. It was a Mount Pleasant and Better Pictures production. The narrator was played by Chloe Elliott. The Halfling was played by Amelia Chisholm. The Half-Elf was played by Will Byford. The Child was played by Tal Maneer. Sound effects were supplied by Soundlike Tube on YouTube and BBC Sound Effects.
0: Babel Negative was directed by Stasi Dimitrova. It was a Mount Pleasant and Better Pictures production. Lily's Mother was played by Eleanor Webster. Lily was played by Chloe Elliott. The Dream Narrator was played by Liv Powell. Our theme music was supplied by Chloe Elliott. You can support Bones of the Land by following us on Twitter at Bones of the Land.